0: The Holy Spirit comes and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And I just think it's as we sing, Holy Spirit, come, you are welcome here. I mean, are we really ready for the Holy Spirit to come and do what he does when we really invite him into a place? I mean, it's really more powerful than maybe than maybe we think. Uh, In the Old Testament, Samson stands between two pillars, right? And he says, Holy Spirit, fill me. And he gets filled with this strength that's so incredible that he pushes down these pillars and this and, and this whole place comes crashing down on top of him. And he becomes so incredibly strong because he's filled with the Spirit. And I just think, man, just as I'm thinking, as I'm singing it, I'm thinking, man, I mean, oh, that you would really do that. Anyway, that was all extra, right? That was pretty cool. Um, let me tell you a story uh, a friend of mine told me one time. He was a, he was a Marine and he was stationed somewhere overseas. And uh, and he said they would they would go on these raids. He and like eight other guys, not not raids. I'm sure it's an old term, but they would go on these things and, and uh, there, there was like eight of them. And, uh, and they would they'd have like four days and you'd be on your own. You'd have enough rations and all that kind of thing to make it. And they'd be doing these clear outs. So these villages or these little towns were supposed to be cleared out for one reason or another. I don't, I don't know the logistics of it. But they had to go through and check every house. And so they're doing individual sweeps of every house. And he said they're on like day two and they've been doing these sweeps. And it's pretty clear that nobody's here. And, um, and, and they're kind of they're, they're really getting bored and they do what any eight men would do who have two more days of nothing ahead of them and lots of explosives strapped to them, you know, and they're like, let's blow something up. So they decide that they're going they have to get together because apparently every time you discharge your weapon, you have to write a report. So they all get together and decide on their story and what their story is going to be. And then they figure out what they're going to blow up. And they decide to, um, apparently in people's driveways, they had these, um, if I already told the story, tell me the word I'm looking for. Um, uh, Sewage tanks, sewage tanks underneath the driveways, right? So, um, so they have these little holes. So he's, they decide they're gonna drop a grenade in one of these, and so they're just gonna blow the sewage tank up. Who knows why? So they, uh, they all bunch, all the guys are inside. Whoever draws the short straw has to be the one to toss it in, and uh, they've got like a little half wall. I think it's like this wall over here, and so he's gonna toss it in and run behind the half wall. Tosses it in. Runs behind the half wall, and uh, the grenade explodes, and everybody's in the house looking. But they realize, instead of you know all the poo down in there just kind of shooting straight out, first it goes up, and then it comes, then it starts coming back down. And so the guys over there, he's just hunkered down, and so they all realize that it's going to shower him, you know. And so they start yelling. So he looks up, you know, to see what all the yelling's about. And he just gets sewage filth covered all over him. In his mouth, you know, just soaks him. And uh, two more days they had to go. No showers. You know, he could clean up a little bit. Two more days, 110 degree desert heat, poo all over him. Pretty interesting. Um, Sometimes I think that the mission just gets to you, right? And sometimes you uh, blow up turds with grenades or whatever, you know, however you say that. Sometimes that's how you get over it. Sometimes it's a lot of counseling. Sometimes there's, there's all kind of different issues because sometimes for, for one reason or another, right, the, the weight of the mission and the weight of the task just kind of gets to you. I'll tell you this. If you decide that you're going to invest in people, You decide that I'm going to be serious about what God has called me to do. If you decide to do those things, you will be in a similar place. Weighed down by the mission, um, ready to explode, ready to explode on someone, you know, at someone. You'll be ready to blow up if you decide to invest in people, if you decide to do it for the people. And so, so that whole thing sounds a little bit crazy. But here's what people do. And, and, and any of you guys who know some people, right, you can probably attest to this. People let you down. They won't love you when they should. They won't get you. They won't understand you. Sometimes you'll do everything for them and they won't say thanks, right? If you know people, you know that sometimes people let you down. And look, don't, don't test it. Just take my word for it that this is absolutely the case. You'll get overwhelmed. You'll quit trying to care for people if you do it for the people, I saw this this number not long ago, and this is just seminary students. This is not the population at large. These are just people that have went to a seminary for the purpose of training to be in ministry. Uh, Seventy percent of of people that that start seminary. So they just begin. Seventy percent of those people won't end up serving in ministry. Seventy percent, they have made the big decision to enroll in college or in graduate school for the purpose of preparing for ministry. And for one reason or another, 70 percent of them will never serve in the ministry. And they usually get started. Right. And sometimes it's righteous reasons they don't. And oftentimes it's not righteous reasons. But 70 percent of them won't serve. And I believe it's because they begin to serve people for the sake of people. And it just wears them out. And from someone who's been a person my whole life, And I know the species pretty well, right? People will let you down. Sometimes people suck, right? Sometimes people suck. Can I get an amen, right? Sometimes people suck. Um, On that note, I've said this before, and I want you to hear it because it pertains to you, right? It really pertains to you. I'm really talking to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm absolutely talking to you. I want you to know something. You, if you're a follower of Jesus you are a missionary. So when you see pictures of missionaries and we flash them up here and they're feeding some thirsty guys, some cold water, you know, and they're just meeting a need, right? That's you. I mean, you're not physically doing that, right? But, but what you see there in missionaries, right? That's you. Because to be a missionary is to be sent by Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you've read the New Testament, then you know that you have indeed been sent. And so what I want you to know is there is a great danger that faces missionaries. And because you're a missionary, you need to know that. And the great danger is not you ending up on the end of a spear, you know, in the middle of a jungle somewhere. And the great danger is not that you would be isolated from people around you if you're a missionary right here in, in the U.S. Right. Those are not the big dangers. The big danger is that God's call will be replaced by the needs of the people. And more people leave the ministry and more people are ineffective because they forget that God called them and they just start looking at the needs of people around them. And no amount of human sympathy can can deal with the overwhelming feeling that you can't meet all the needs and can deal with the overwhelming reality that no matter how much you do for some people, they just don't like you. And sometimes conditions are so difficult and you're so small and the task seems so big, you just give up. And what we tend to forget is that underneath there's this one great reason underneath all missionary work. And it's not it's not helping people. It's not the elevation of the people. It's not feeding people. It's not their education. And if you're a missionary primarily charged with reaching to your family, it's not getting them out of the mess they've been in and getting them through college or or getting them a job. It's none of those things. First and foremost, the number one reason for undertaking missionary work is the command of Jesus to go and make disciples. And if you do it for any other reason, you're going to find yourself just not doing it for very long. Last week, we put into our focus who on earth we're supposed to serve, right? And we said the people that we are supposed to serve is our neighbor. And we realized that our neighbor is not just the five houses around us, um, not the house behind us because it's creepy to peek through your fence, right? But it's not just those immediate people. I mean, that's a good place to start, but it's not just those people. Our neighbor is anybody who is in need. And the work the work of missions is, is, is those of us that are sent is to be gospel light to those people, to share the gospel with those people. Right. The gospel, i.e., the good news that Jesus died and rose again, that you might be a child of his forever and ever. That's the gospel. And the work that we're to do with him is to be gospel light in front of them. Share the gospel with them in order that those people would become like Jesus. This week. Because I never want to be vague. Because what I never want to say to you is, um, is is something that you don't totally get. I remember when I was at, man, years and years, I feel like I was in the church. And people would say, be the gospel, share the gospel. And I would say, what the heck is the gospel? And just nobody was clear in saying exactly what that was. And I would say, what is the gospel? And they would say, well, it's the good news. And I would be like, so my job as a Christian is just to share good news. And, you know, there's lots of good news out there. You know, you got an A on your report card. You're going to Disney World. You know, like I just didn't get the whole idea. And people were constantly telling me good things to do and not really giving me any rubric for how to do them. So I just don't want to be vague to you. And I want to tell you, I don't want to just tell you that you're a missionary and you need to go and serve your neighbor and you be like, I don't get what that means. My neighbor has more money than me. You know, my neighbor is nicer than me and brings in my garbage. You know, they already are way outdoing me. I cannot outdo them or whatever the case may be. I just don't want you to think I don't have any idea how to do that very thing. You know, like, I know what I would do if God called me to be a missionary in Africa. That seems pretty clear. But if God calls me to be a missionary in Herahan, I don't really know what that looks like. And I want to walk through what it looks like to be a missionary to your neighbor, no matter where you are. And I'll tell you that the very first thing you have to do if you're going to be a missionary and you're called to be a missionary, so you're going to be one. The very first thing you got to do is change your mind. And it's not about who your neighbor is or what their needs are. It's about the God that has called you to reach your neighbor. And that's got to be the reason that you do it. So here we go. Flip to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. If you stayed awake thus far last week, right, then you probably heard this passage last week. We read part of this, but we read it in a different book. And um, so just quick history lesson or quick Bible lesson, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, if you ever read them and you're, you read Matthew and then you got to Mark and you're like, this is just like the last book, right? It's because it is, they're called synoptic gospels. So if any of you guys go to seminary and you're like, and they, you act like you never heard what synoptic gospels are, don't drop my name with that because I did tell you what it is. Synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are those. It just means seen together with a common view, so basically, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are three guys that spent a lot of time together, that saw the same thing happen, and wrote about it. So naturally, the story is kind of the same. So last week, we looked at it in Luke. This week, we look at it in a little different place in Matthew. Matthew 22, we'll start in 34. Matthew 22, 34. Here's what this guy's doing, if you can kind of get the gravity of this. This guy is trying to test Jesus in this scripture. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we know, like, don't try to stump Jesus in Bible trivia, you know, because he's going to win every time. But this guy's not totally sure who Jesus is yet, so he's going to take a shot to try to stump Jesus. And, And here's what Jesus just did. Jesus just shut someone up completely. Because when someone has a question that they've had their entire life, and you answered in like a second, you end up kind of being like, I guess I don't have anything else to say, right? You know, it's like if, if, if Jesus were here, you know, if you said, you know, Catholic, Baptist, Protestant, you know, which, which one's right? What, you know, what's good and what's bad? And, we, and, and in Jesus, in like two seconds, these questions we've been trying to answer for four and five hundred years, if he just stepped in and answered them for us directly, we'd be like, we wouldn't have anything else to say, right? So Jesus does this. He comes in and, and, he, and he just answers this question that people have been asking forever. And he shuts everybody up. And so the guy steps out in Matthew twenty two thirty four, and he says this. Twenty two thirty four. Jesus has just done that. And then it says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So Jesus just shut this guy up. And then the Pharisees are like, we're going to get our smartest guy to ask Jesus a really hard theology question. And, and this is how we're going to get him. And he's going to create some enemies by his answer. So you ask him this question. One of them, verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, Tested him with this question. This is what they asked Jesus. They say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And mind you, this is not a real question. All the guys really trying to do is—he is knows that one group of people have said these are the most important things that the law says, and a whole other group says these are the most important things that the law says. And because they can't agree, he steps up to ask him a question, and he—and he knows that however Jesus answers, he's going to make an enemy out of one of the two groups, and that's all he's really looking to do. So he asks him this question, and you know what? As I'm reading it, it kind of reminds me of like modern day politics, right? It's not about getting the right answer. It's just about being the least wrong, you know. And so he, they're just trying to, to get Jesus to be a little bit wrong here. Verse 37. This is what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first. So he said, what's the greatest commandment? This is the first and the greatest commandment. And he says, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Basically, what he says is, you made a list of everything you think is important, but I'm letting you know that if you will love God first and love people second, you'll cover every other rule you've got. And so he just kind of, you know, and he, and he gives them this answer. And, and in doing that, I think he tells us exactly what we're supposed to do with our neighbor. So when we ask questions, what am I supposed to do with our neighbor? Jesus makes it really, really clear. He says we are supposed to be people that love our neighbor. So when we went to Hammond, right, we weren't just tearing up floors and, and helping somebody get some things together. Right. We were loving people. When we give money to missionaries who go overseas and serve people. Right. Well, we're giving money to them so that they can go and love people. When we share the gospel, we're not just spouting off information about what what you do in case the world ends and and what we think is right, right? We are actually loving people. And for the love of Jesus, because he has called us to be missionaries, here are four things, four things, right, that I think sum up this idea of what is said throughout Scripture about how you can love people. You ready? Four things. So here's what I'd encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to write these things down. You know, like maybe, maybe stick it on your fridge somewhere. You know, the same place where you put... Haircut at 10 a.m., you know, the things you don't tend to forget. And don't put it in the same place that you put, get my oil changed on this day, right? And then you go 3,000 and 6,000 miles, right? Um, true story, John's not here, so he can't test that this is true. But uh, when I get my oil changed, I look at that sticker, and I can't remember if that sticker is when I'm supposed to get my oil changed or when I had it changed last, you know, because I'm a good three and 4,000 miles past it. Come to find out it's when you're supposed to get it changed, so... Anyway, I've been going a while, but but stick this in a good place. Right. Because these are some things that that I think will help guide you as you seek to serve your neighbor. Right. Number one thing you can do in loving your neighbor is to serve your neighbor. And so we determine missions is about serving our neighbor, is about loving our neighbor. And the number one thing we can do is serve them. Here's what I could do. I could pull in 40 scriptures that tell you to serve your neighbor. I could pull in another 40 that tell you all the different places that Jesus said for you to do it and that Jesus did it right. All that stuff's in there. But I think it's pretty interesting what Jesus says here. If we just get way more simple than that, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you a question. Who do you love as much as you love yourself? Do you love anybody as much as you love yourself? And some of us with maybe some self-esteem issues would say, I don't even think I love me all that much, you know, and so that's not a hard thing. But if you look at it a little bit differently, ask yourself this. Who do you do as much for as you do for yourself? Who do you do as much for as you do for yourself? Who do you ensure that they have a meal every single day, right, every single meal provided for? Who do you ensure that their clothes, this is from Bible study, right? Who do you ensure that their uh, underwear and outerwear don't look like tattered battle flags, right? That's what we talk about in in Bible study. But, you know, who do you make sure has good clothes on their back, right, and just looks some amount of decent? Who do you ensure that their future is somewhat planned for, you know, that they have some sort of hope? Who do you spend money on just so that they can have fun, right? Because sometimes when I want to spend some money on splurge on something, I'm like, I deserve this, you know? Do you do that for anybody else? Who do you ensure that bills are paid so that they have A.C. and running water? Like, who do you do that for other than just yourself? And, and I know what you're thinking. I can't physically, I just can't, I don't make enough money to pay everybody's bills. And it's not so much that, that you have to live for everybody else, but the idea is this. Does it break your heart that, say, one-third of the world doesn't have air conditioning and, and, and clean, accessible running water? It may not break your heart that a third of the world has that, but if you have to go two or three days without clean running water at home, in your house, right, it breaks your heart. If you have to go three days in the middle of the summer and, and you got to sleep at home, you got nowhere else to go, and it's like 110 at night, right, it breaks your heart that you are without water and AC. Do you ever think about people on the other side of the world and it breaks your heart uh, that they don't have those things? When those things are out for you, you work hard to remedy the situation. When my cable went out, right, much less important, my cable went out, I spent like an hour on the phone on hold to get my cable back, you know? Um, Man, we work hard to remedy the things that happen to us. Do you work so hard to remedy the things that happen to other people? That'll tell you a little bit about how much you love people that aren't you. It's not a bad thing to love you, right? Mind you, Jesus didn't say, he didn't say love yourself to the, or love everyone else totally to the exclusion of yourself, right? He said, deny yourself, but not love everybody to the exclusion of yourself. Like, it's a good thing that you love you. You need to love you, right? It prompts you to do normal things for yourself. But Jesus says, love other people in the same way. And if we could get loving people, we wouldn't even have to tell one another to serve, you know, you don't have to tell me that there are things that I have to do for Molly, right? I, I, I look at her and, and there are things I have to do for Jess. I just look at them and I love them and therefore I do things for them. I, I bet if you had anybody in mind when you said there are some like with your children, I do more for them than they do for themselves, right? And they're 18, you know, or something. And, and so, man, is there anyone outside of your children that you do more for them than you do for yourself? Or you consider them more than you consider yourself. Because if you love your neighbor, you will begin to serve them. And we don't even got to dig through all the places where Scripture says that's what you need to do. If you just begin to love people, you'll begin to serve them. In loving your neighbor, you'll serve them. But in loving your neighbor, you must also share the gospel with them. And I could take you through Matthew 28 and Mark and all these other different kind of places where Jesus tells you to go and serve and all that kind of thing. But I think the truth is, again, if you love somebody, wouldn't your biggest care be for their biggest concern? I mean, what if someone you loved is, is standing somewhere and there's a bee on their shoulder and then there's a bus barreling towards them? I mean, are you that concerned about the bee? Right now, their biggest concern is your biggest concern. And you'll share the gospel with them because you love them, because you can't imagine the worst possible thing happening to them. And so you will tell them if you love them. The bigger question is, if you don't share the gospel, at minimum, you don't live a gospel-centered life in front of them, can you really say that you love them at all? I, I would like to think that, let's say you could time travel, and it was like the year 2000, and you came back and you saw me, and I was like, hey, uh, I just got this new investment banker, and his name, last name's Madoff, you know, and so I think it's going to be really good for me, and and you looked at me, and you'd been to the future, and you knew this was not going to end well, and, and you were just like, you know, just one you just got to figure out on your own, and a good 10 years later, I'd look back and be like, man, that guy from the future sucks, you know? Because he could have told me that this was all going to end terribly. And, and when you don't do for people, right, when you don't do the, the best thing for them, when you don't even alert them of the biggest thing that may be coming, can you really even say that you love them? If we love people, we'll serve them. If we love people, we'll share the gospel with them. And if we love people, we will invite them. And, and note this. We'll invite them. But look, missionary, you need to know this because this is bad mission strategy if you do what we've been doing for a long, long time. So, So as a missionary, right, consider this. This is like your this is your training to go out. Right. Here's what don't invite them to stop inviting people to church. And don't invite people to church because they smell bad and we don't want them here. No, it's not like that. Stop inviting people to church because they're tired of it, because they don't see the value in it, right? How often have you invited somebody to church over and over, and they're like, I just don't care about that. Stop inviting people to church, and instead, invite people to Jesus. I have this fear... I'm going to clear that up a little bit, so don't tune out yet, right? But, man, I have this fear that I'm going to invite someone, and and it's going to be one of those days where it's really low attendance, you know? And it's also going to be one of those days where there's just a few of us here, and and the few of us that do show up show up at, like, 940 like we do, you know? And so they're going to show up, and they're going to get here, like, 15 minutes early, and really that's going to be, like, 25 minutes early. And there we're going to be, and it's going to just be me and them, and I'm going to be like, well, this is awkward. I swear people do actually come here. And, you know, I mean, I'm just sometimes I'm just so worried about what it's going to be like when I invite them. And I know it's because I invited them to church and I I invited them to church because I thought you may like it. Right. The preaching isn't bad. I try to be funny and not not make you fall asleep. And we try to make the music good. Right. I'm inviting them to church, but I'm not really inviting them to Jesus. Man, because Jesus doesn't disappoint You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus is never, we never see Jesus and go, well, that really wasn't all I thought it was going to be. Church, sometimes that happens. When we invite people to Jesus, he never lets down. The idea is that if you will invite people, uh, if you will invite people into your life to be Jesus's hands and feet to them, if you'll invite people to church to hear about Jesus, if you'll invite people to movie night because Jesus's people are there, if you'll invite people to church because there's value in Jesus, not because, you know, we do it on a ball field and you're like, you should see it. It's different. Just come once. You know, if you'll invite people to church because Jesus is here, then you'll have some impact. What's the difference between inviting someone to church and inviting someone to Jesus? It's saying uh, it's not saying you should come because, you know, we have, you know, our preachers really short. It's so short. It's odd. You got to come see it. You know, Um, right. It's that's inviting people to church. Inviting people to Jesus is saying, man, you know what? I mean, church is sometimes great and, and sometimes right. But being a part of the church has changed my entire life. And man, I can't tell you everything that that means, but it's everything to me. And and it's all because of Jesus. And so I just think you should come. And by the way, the preacher's short and it's neat to see. You know what I mean? That's inviting people to Jesus and loving your neighbor. Serve them, share the gospel with them, invite them to Jesus. And this is the one that maybe we don't get to in missions enterprise. This is the one that you go, Adam, that's your job. That's why we pay you the big bucks. And and so this is what we're calling you to do. Um, Serve, share, invite, but also disciple. What does it mean to disciple? If we say disciple, sometimes you think, well, I don't know what that means. Or is that preaching? If so, I can't do that. I'm not a preacher. So therefore, that is totally off my realm. But here's what I'll say. Jesus didn't say share the gospel with people and then tell your pastor to teach them all I have commanded you. He says, no, share the gospel with them and you the missionaries, right? The sent ones. You guys be the ones to teach them everything that I've called you to do. Discipling people is not this unreachable thing that you haven't heard of that you can't do. I would imagine that in some ways you're already doing this. Discipling is just about training people up to do the things that they should do. Hopefully you're doing that with your children. I mean, for better or worse, you're teaching them something. You're training them up to become and to do something. That's all discipleship is. And as you begin to model this gospel life in front of them, and as you, as you sin and make mistakes, you ask for forgiveness for them in the same way that, that right, you expect them to ask for forgiveness. And as you begin, to, you don't have to do it perfectly. Man, you just have to make an honest effort to live out your faith in front of them and make an honest effort to spend some time with them. So begin there with your family right? That's the most accessible place. Uh, Have some family worship, pray together, live God-centered lives in front of them. You can disciple. And if you'll begin at home, the one thing you have, at least if you're a parent, is you can say you're not going anywhere and you're staying here. You can't do that with anybody else. So, man, begin to disciple people. Start at your home. And then the big one is after you begin to do that, invite other people into your life so that you can do the same thing with them. And sometimes this is the hard one, right? Because this one takes time. Sometimes I, I I even idolize, you know, time with my family, and I and I say, you know, I got to have. And look, it's important. How are you going to disciple your family if you're never with them, right? You got to spend some time with your family in order to disciple them and lead them well. But but sometimes I idolize time with my family to the exclusion of others. And you know what? When I begin to do that, you know what I remember? Do you, do you guys remember what Jesus said when he was man? Uh, he was standing there, and some people came to the door, and they were like, "Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here." And you remember, remember what Jesus said? And he was like. Oh, you know, mom and bro, you know, just bring them on in. Man, Jesus is like, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he wasn't saying I don't love them and they don't mean anything to me. He was saying, man, so much more important than the relationship I have with my family is that I serve God well. And this is a long road. And hear me say this, because this is this is the tough part. And this is where this idea of discipling people is getting at. But hear this. This is something you should know. This is hard for me to learn. But your life is not your own. And it's not because you didn't choose it, right? You decided to follow Jesus. And when you decided to follow Jesus, your life became not your own. My house is not my own. My car is not my own. You know, not that anybody else would want it. But those things are absolutely not my own. And you will you will give up much and it will be painful if you realize that your life is not your own. But you will make an impact for the gospel in a way you can't imagine if you live like your life is not your own. Don't take that lightly. It's not easy. You begin to pray now that you would see your life is not your own. Um when I was a sophomore in college, uh the a good friend of mine, he was a junior and uh, he he, uh, he was a junior, he was a transfer, so it was his first year at Ole Miss and uh, he decided to become an RA. If any of you guys uh, went to college and lived on campus, you know that nobody likes the R.A. You know, he's like the most hated person in the hall because he's the person that catches you when you're smoking weed or drinking or whatever, you know. And so um, he decides to become an R.A. because he wants to get to know people in his building. And I'm like, that's probably the worst way to get to know people in your building. But he becomes an R.A. to get to know people in his building and uh, meets the guy across the hall from him. The guy across the hall from him is uh, who I heard this story from. The guy across the hall from him... um, he, he goes across the hall, he introduces himself, begins to spend some time with him, invites him to come to one of these campus ministries with him, and they spend some time together. Uh, that guy who lived across the hall from from the RA, um, he, his parents had moved him halfway across the country like in the middle of his senior year of high school. And he was pretty bitter about it, you know, loved his high school, loved all those things. And, and then his parents just picked up and moved, and uh, and he was pretty mad about it. So when he came back to college, he was just, he was bitter, and he was angry, and he was determined to make his parents kind of feel the wrath of that, you know, and just be a terrible student and gets in lo- get in lots of trouble. Um, so that's where he was. This guy begins to invest in him, and, and, and he, he comes to this campus ministry because he doesn't really know anybody yet. And... Um, And and my friend begins to share his life with him, invites him to this ministry, uh, shares the gospel with him, uh, serves him. You know, when they have free pizza, he brings him some free pizza up and, you know, college students love free pizza. And he just begins to invest in him. And pretty soon, this guy comes to a place where he's at one of these campus ministry events, and he realizes that that what he's living for and the bitterness and the anger and whatever it is is just not going to get him very far, and and he repents. And he says, you know, I'm I'm just not going to chase after that anymore, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And my friend who was the RA just continues to be his friend. And um, they both came. My friend later, begins to just spend some time with him over the course of these years and discipling him. Uh, this guy goes on to, uh, to seminary on the West Coast after a couple of years, feels like, um, you know, he wants to invest in the lives of people. He graduated from seminary two years ago, and now he's a pastor in New Mexico. And, and, and so there's one guy just serving, sharing, inviting, discipling, not preaching to anyone just trying to love people around him, and he does that. And then this guy becomes a disciple, right? And then he becomes a pastor who's making disciples. And then there are disciples in the church who are making disciples. And it all happens not because somebody said, I'm going to be a preacher, and I'm going to, somebody just said, I'm going to disciple someone else. And I'm going to love someone else, and I'm going to invest in someone else. And I'm just going to do this crazy thing of walking across the hall and introducing myself to my neighbor and just letting him know that I love him. And that is what you missionaries are called to do to your neighbor. Let me pray. God, I praise you for, uh, for just convicting my heart for what I don't do for my neighbor. Uh, for the neighbor that lives right across the street from me. And for the neighbors that I have at work. And for people around the world in the way that I just don't prioritize loving them. And so, God, first and foremost, I just ask that you would forgive us for the way that we haven't loved people. But, God, I praise you that you are a God of second chances, and even though we failed and screwed up and messed up in so many different ways, God, that even today we can come to you and say, God, I want to do this different. And I want to be somebody who loves people and who shares the gospel with them and who serves them and invites them to to come to know you, God. I just want to be that, and you will empower us with your spirit to do those things. So, God, I pray that we would be people today that would do that. Jesus in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's